0: December 31, 1919, at around 9.30 p.m., there's over 150 people hunting jackrabbits in their backyard. No one knows why.
1: <laughs> that used to be the, you know where you like, do you ever wake up at like 3 a.m. and you're like, it's just want a little shredded cheese. Goblin brain with a little shredded cheese right <laughs> So
0: many people went up in 1919, December 31st, to go get a little bit of shredded cheese. And by shredded cheese, I mean just a flask of whiskey.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unbelievable, the podcast where I future vampire hunter Kurt Danner tell my good friend potential vampire Luis Mejia two unbelievable stories from history one true one fake
0: and it's up to me to figure out which is which before you are inevitably turned into a vampire inevitably so before
1: we get started I do want to say that I have done some fun formatting things with the story today and you'll just have to kind of find out as we go along (laughs) Uh, but one of our stories is going to be formatted like a novel and the other to the best of my abilities in an audio format is going to be formatted like a play it's very exciting. But before we get down to all that business, Luis, do you have a fast
0: fact for me? Boy, oh boy, Curtis, do I have a fast Actually, fact for you. Actually,
1: you do not have a fast fact for me because what? as you may know, Luis, I am home for the holidays yes. visiting my parents and they are both very big fans of our podcast, as you well know. That's true. And so I thought it might be fun for my mom to react to your fast fact instead of me. So without further ado, let me introduce Paula Dan. Woo!
0: Hell yeah. This is a, a midway guest.
2: Hello. Hello,
0: hello. Hello. It's wonderful to see family gathered in in, in this time of year, uh, especially in the U.S., considering that in Mexico, Thanksgiving's fully not a holiday. Right. So I was very confused to see family members, but very excited to see family members.
2: (laughs) Well, we are excited to get to have the podcast recorded from this location.
0: (laughs) Undisclosed. (laughs) Yes, this
2: undisclosed secret location in Missouri.
0: Exactly, exactly. Well, Well, since I don't have a family, fast fact for kurt i think i have a fast fact for you mrs denner if that's okay okay
2: yeah give it lay it on me give it to me well
0: considering that we're currently in the time of the world cup the world cup is all the rage around the world and and you know i am a proud follower of the world cup at least this one i think i think we should share some uh, soccer or football facts if you will okay all right so True or false, the highest-scored soccer game ever recorded was a final score of 53-5. to True or false?
2: Okay, 53. That's from my limited knowledge of soccer, since I come from an American football family, so (laughs) that wouldn't be so bad in American football, but in soccer... I'm gonna say, even though I'm sure that that's true because it seems so crazy, I'm gonna say false.
0: Wow, well, it seems it seems intuition runs in the family because it's fully false. <laughs> I totally made that up. I, I I fully just try to come up with a with a number that was high enough. But it's interesting because the truth for the highest scoring soccer professional game or football match has been 149 to zero. This is according to the Guinness. It's recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records no. from a professional football team in Madagascar. So it's the highest score line in a football match 149 to zero back in 1885 in the Scottish Cup so uh,
2: (laughs) okay well I don't know if that counts because it's so long ago I think they need to up their game now I I
0: think that's just a challenge for us to to try to 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 make it worse you know and 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 try to have 150 let's reach for 150 I think is what we're we're trying to get to I said to go (laughs) okay perfect
2: I got one for the team. Thank you. That's true. Thank That's you.
0: true. So hopefully, hopefully, this is a, a a good omen for things to come in this episode. It's it's the the familial ties that know how to recognize yes. a good fit. Okay,
2: I'm giving you back to Kurt.
0: <laughs> Perfect.
1: And we're back, ladies and gentlemen.
0: That was Curtis's mother, everyone. Curtis's mother everyone ladies and gentlemen that was that was lovely I, kurt. I could
1: I could only hear her end of it but it sounded like she got it
0: uh she did she did she fully did oh
1: maybe I should have her guessing the stories <laughs>
0: I mean kurt <laughs> by, by the looks of it and by by your current record Kurt it seems like you might have to but we'll see it's tough out here but luckily for you the person that is uh that it depends on to guess the truth is me so all you have to do you have the easy job of telling me a good compelling story Curtis That's very
1: true and on that note shall we get down to it
0: I am beyond ready. Let's get it.
1: Okay, so as I said, this first story is formatted in the style of a novel, and if this novel had a name, it would be titled A Dystopian Treasure Hunt. I have written a little forward, which I realize (laughs) now seems ridiculous since I also wrote out the notes for the rest of the story, but here's the forward. Let's hear it. This is a story of humanity's most important lost and found. A tale of treasure, warfare, and mischief on the high seas. This story spans across the entire modern era and intertwines some of humanity's worst mistakes with the ingenuity and resilience of the human spirit.
0: Kurt, it seems like being back home has been really good for your creative juices. (laughs) Damn, this sounds nice. I'm excited already. What are
1: you trying to say about the previous 22 episodes, (laughs)
0: Louise? No comment.
1: (laughs) Look, I knew that was going to get you when I put the words high seas in there, okay? Um, yeah, But shall we move on to chapter one And for chapter one I have a little quote here for you Okay. By Sir Francis Chichester uh, He was a famous sailor in the 1920s um, And I wanted to pick a sailor quote Because there are a lot of boats In this story
0: A lot of boats It's always a good omen for a good story and,
1: uh, You know, the more boats the better Okay, <laughs> that's come on what I always say Here's the quote Any damn fool can navigate the world sober It takes a really good sailor to do it drunk that... And that's fun <laughs> And
0: so now (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. I thought there was more to that quote. No, does it. it. Full stop.
1: <laughs> so, our first boat here is a Roman ship sometime around 50 AD. And it's a Roman cargo vessel carrying approximately 1,000 tons of lead. Uh, they're crossing the Mediterranean. The lead is likely going to be melted down to make slingshot ammunition for the war effort because at this point in time, Julius Caesar is still fighting a civil war. For some reason, the ship sinks near the coast of Sardinia. Possibly it was sunk in battle, but it's also very likely that it was scuttled to keep the lead out of enemy hands. Ooh. And you may be wondering, Luis, what scuttled? means. Uh, So to scuttle your ship means to sink your own ship intentionally. Mm -hmm. Usually this is done to prevent it from being captured and usually it's done by just uh, allowing the ship to take on water. So they just, you know, literally just let (laughs) it sink.
0: (laughs) Just plug a a few holes. (laughs) So
1: by whatever means it happened, this Roman ship ends up at the bottom of the Mediterranean. Now we skip ahead to the 14th century, the New World, the Americas, Spanish cargo ships filled with gold, silver, gemstones, lead, tobacco, and spices begin sailing from the Caribbean to Spain uh, and while this is happening ships from England, France, and the Netherlands began attacking and plundering these undefended cargo ships because they're loaded down with loot but they don't have anyone defending them. So to stop this problem around 1530 Spain began requiring merchant ships to travel in a fleet or a convoy uh, with armed warships for protection and this system kept the ships safe for the next 200 years till 1733 the Spanish merchant convoy was caught in a hurricane off the coast of Florida sinking 22 of the 23 ships. The only ship that survived quickly returned to havana and brought rescue ships and because of the fast response time and many of the ships sank in shallow water uh, much of the valuable cargo was actually salvaged in fact they actually salvaged more cargo than what was on the manifesto so Ooh. it seems that there was Hold on. There quite was... a lot of stuff snuck in there there's a
0: net gain
1: yes which <laughs> also makes it very difficult to tell how much cargo was actually on board and how much was lost but anyway that's that mm-hmm. now we are going to skip ahead again are you keeping up luis
0: uh, so
1: far i think so <laughs> <laughs> okay now we are skipping to November 11th, 1918. Okay. Which is the day that the armistice for the ceasefire of World War One is signed.
0: Some could call it Armistice Day.
1: Some may say Armistice Day <laughs> until they decide not to, and they change it to a different word because we've figured out we're going to keep having wars. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So this is the day that World War I effectively ends. And at this point, the German Navy is still, you know, got lots of boats still in the water. The German Navy is called the Kaiserliche Marine. Ooh. That's my best pronunciation and it's not close, but that's, that's what we got here. Sorry, okay?
0: Kurt, I kind of liked it. <laughs> I, li- I like your interpretation of German.
1: Yeah, yeah, artist rendition <laughs> oh, yeah, of the exactly. German Navy name. <laughs> so the Allies are unsure what to do with the Navy. Some of the countries want to divide up the boats. Others want to destroy them. They decide that they want to dock the boats in a neutral harbor until they can come to a decision but then they turn out to have a lot of trouble actually finding a willing country with a neutral harbor mm. so finally they decide they're going to dock the fleet at scapa flow which is a body of water off the coast of scotland okay. and there the fleet will be guarded by the royal navy that's <laughs> uh, yes, why is that funny no i was,
0: I was just gonna say it's just uh, it just came to me that a neutral country it's hard to find a neutral country that's not landlocked at this point right yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Oh, yeah let's find a harbor somewhere in Switzerland I don't know yeah right (laughs) like that's that 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 was that was that was just a little little haha for me Kurt just for me
1: right and also you're just coming off World War One, and you know the allies are going around to countries that like stayed out of it asking hey could we put the entire German fleet right on your doorstep
0: hey remember when the German fleet tried to destroy your country yeah could you do me a huge solid sorry if it's a bother
1: this time they're just here as a
0: social visit (laughs) (laughs) it's like the monopoly board just visiting just stopping by Yeah, yeah yeah
1: But so, anyway, so they're docked at Scapa Flow. Uh, the German fleet sits there for the next six months while the Allies try to decide what to do with them. And during the six months, German sailors are not allowed to leave their ships or have any contact with other ships. Food arrives twice a month from Germany. It's basically bottom of the barrel army rations because that's kind of all they have to spare. <laughs> sailors start catching fish and killing seagulls for food. And somehow, despite the lack of food being sent, there is an excess of brandy that gets sent. Oh, so oh, casually. On board these ships. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, we can at least supply them with one necessity.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it, whatever whatever happens to these guys, at least they're well boosted up. No,
1: Exactly. And that's pretty much where we end up here. Is that the mood is not very good on board because at this point, they've basically been trapped for six months. They're hungry. They're drunk. They're ashamed <laughs> for losing the war. They don't know when they're going to get to go home. Additionally, the signing of the Treaty of Versailles. So the armistice just was a ceasefire about a year later. June 21st, 1919 is when they're scheduled to sign the treaty that will will Actually define the terms of surrender. Mm -hmm. So this date, June 21st, is coming up. Admiral Ludwig Reuter, who is the guy in charge of the German Navy, is unsure what's going to happen to the fleet. On one hand, he's kind of worried that when the treaty gets signed, the British may just seize control of the fleet and say this is ours now. He's also thinking that maybe the Kaiser will use the treaty signing as an opportunity to launch a surprise offensive. But in either of these cases, he doesn't want the boats to fall into British hands. So on June 21st, the day that they sign the treaty, Admiral Ludwig orders for the fleet to be and most of the 74 ships sink. Interesting.
0: So he's like, I cannot find a fleet or a dock to park these boats on. No, just get rid of them, I guess. No,
1: no, no. Because it's the allies who are trying to find somewhere to put it so they can decide what to do with it. Right. But he's just, you know, the German Navy commander who sees his like soldiers suffering. It's not a good position for them. He's not sure what will happen if the British decide we're just taking control. He's not sure if maybe they're going to go to war again. So he just decides no matter what happens, I don't want the (laughs) Brits to end up having these boats. I'd rather them just sink and then we all go home. So it wasn't it wasn't his decision. That they were docked there. He was stuck along with the rest of them, and in complete defiance of the Allies sunk all the boats. Interesting. Okay. Okay, so now we are on to chapter two, and I have a picture that I'm gonna send oh, you. It's exciting. Multimedia. Okay. Luis, can you describe to me what you see in this picture or or try to I don't know if this uh looks like anything okay. to you. Just just describe what's in it, basically. Alright,
0: so it's a black and white photograph with two men in what appears to be some sort of warehouse open air warehouse and they have in front of them this big machine that looks like a like a science fiction bomb. These two men seem, I don't know, maybe average height, so like slightly below six foot mm-hmm. and this bomb seems, it's like a circular bomb that almost looks or bomb looking thing that looks to be probably about their size or maybe a slightly bigger. It's just a, a, mm-hmm. a, a round sphere with a bunch of cables coming out mm-hmm. of it. And then two men looking at it rather preoccupied. Yeah. So this picture was
1: taken in the Jornado del Muerto, which I have read can be translated as single day's journey of the dead man or root of the dead man, Mm -hmm. or a more modern translation would be working day of the dead. Luis, native Spanish speaker, do you you want to comment on which one of those seems most correct to you?
0: I concur. I mean, it's I mean, it's essentially jornada. the The direct translation of jornada would be like journey, uh, but it comes from a, a day's a day's labor. That's where the the word mm. jornada comes from. But so it's like yeah, the the travels of the dead or the travel of the dead, the journey of mm. the dead.
1: Well, either way, this is the name of a desert in New Mexico. So we are okay. in the root of the dead man in New Mexico. And on July 26, nineteen forty five, five twenty eight a.m. is the last moment before there's a great change. Ooh. And the reason for this is because you were completely on the right track with the picture what happens at 5:29 a.m one minute later is the first detonation of a nuclear bomb the world's first nuclear bomb ever created named trinity oh. so this is the first test of the manhattan project and again first nuclear bomb ever detonated and there's you know something interesting about this last minute because a lot of people talk about that when this bomb was detonated so many things instantly changed you know world politics forever changed warfare forever changed the way that we globalize our societies forever changed But one of the big unexpected consequences of this is that at the moment the bomb detonated, all the existing scrap steel in the world just increased in value exponentially. Whoa. Now, the reason for this is because the detonation of a nuclear bomb releases radionuclides into our atmosphere. Basically, these little radioactive particles. So all of the air in our atmosphere contains a slight amount of radiation. Because every process of making steel uses oxygen or air in some way, it's impossible to make steel that's not slightly radioactive. So only steel made before July 16th, 1945, 529 a.m. is radiation-free.
0: Wow,
1: <laughs> hold on, that's neat. Yeah, you just digest that for a second. Yeah, no, that, yeah. Uh, that's
0: that's crazy, and and so that's you might crazy. be
1: wondering, why would you need steel that is 100% radiation free? Well, if you think about instruments that you have to build like uh, Geiger counters or <laughs> full body scan rooms in hospitals, this used to be common in the 80s that they would have a full body scan radiation room or scientific testing that requires precise radiation calculations. You know, you don't want to be picking up also the radiation from the steel that's on whatever the platform is you're testing. So right. in these some cases, you need steel that is completely radiation free. And this brings us to chapter three. And for <laughs> oh. chapter three, i have another sailor quote
0: for you oh my goodness they, they, okay hold on i'm sorry this story is, Sorry. is, <laughs> I, we've is taking We've jumped around in time. Me, You need me to slow down for not, a second no, I, I'm not necessarily <laughs> slow down. I just need to take a quick second and note everything that happened. You'd started with the fleet of Roman ships back in a uh, hundred years before Christ, mm-hmm. and now we're talking about the bomb? Like, come on. Well, I
1: said literally this story spans the entirety of the modern oh, human era. God. So yeah, I know I threw a lot at you, and it's a lot of uh, loose ends here. They're all going to be tied together in this chapter, oh, but just to recap... God. I told you about a Roman ship that sank, then the Spanish fleet that sank, then the German Navy that sank.
0: And then a bomb.
1: And then when Trinity, the world's first nuclear bomb, was detonated, all of the steel made before that moment increased in value about three times, so about triple fold.
0: Interesting. Okay. All right. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Mm -hmm. I need to prepare myself. Mm -hmm. Okay, ready. Okay, ready.
1: Okay, so chapter three, and the quote for this chapter is an old sailor saying. The saying is, caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. Mm. Uh, The meaning of this... On wooden ships, the seams between the planks have to be sealed with hot tar so that they don't let in water. Okay. The longest seam on the boat is nicknamed the devil and is normally very leaky just because that's a lot of space to seal. Um, so to be between the devil and the deep blue sea means to be stuck in a tight situation with no good options. And this is uh, it's very similar to like saying between a rock and a hard place.
0: That's what I like to call doing this podcast.
1: Do you either subject yourself to my abuse or stop seeing me? I have no other choice. Caught between the devil and the deep blue sea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I only keep doing this for hoping that someday we'll bring fame and fortune, but yet all it gets me is grief from you, alas.
1: So anyway, let's find out what happens here because, you know, this is a a major dramatic change, right? That before the steel is a theoretically infinite resource. Now it's suddenly dramatically finite for these things that you need radiation-free steel for. And they also, by the way, will refer to this as low background steel, meaning it has low background radiation. Mm, mm -hmm. So once all the available low background steel is used up, how are we going to get more, right? Yeah. And there's actually a second problem here, which is that now that there's a lot more experiments measuring radiation, there's also a demand for low background lead. Oh. And let me actually pause here for a second because the reason why lead is radioactive has nothing to do with the detonation of the nuclear bomb. Lead is actually radioactive when you mine it from the earth and it will lose its radiation over a long period of time, but it's like hundreds of years at minimum. Right. So this is not a new problem, but suddenly we need lead that's not radioactive because... It's just
0: like banana. (laughs) Kurt. No difference between lead and bananas in my brain. Is there more information to that or did you just say that? Bananas are radioactive, Kurt. Wow. They have like a a surprisingly higher level of background radiation. Sure. It doesn't have... Wait, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean... We need low background bananas? (laughs) <laughs> Always on the search for low background bananas. Surely, Kurt, like it's not gonna have less radiation than like smoking a cigarette, right? But it has more radiation than you'd expect from a fruit. Uh, I think that's, oh, that's
1: it, well. It, it has it has more for me because I smoke low background cigarettes. No, <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: sorry, you, sm- <laughs> you only smoke cigarettes from before 1945. Yeah, they were all, yeah, all made before 1945. <laughs> Man, they're stale. But that radiation. God, but hey, listen, I feel like it's it's even healthier. It's good for you, actually. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> But so anyway, the
1: reason why we need a lot of low background lead now is because there's new products such as microchips and nuclear shields. Both of these things need to be radiation free. Also, anything where you're measuring radiation and you have a piece of lead that's on (laughs) this equipment or this machine, also that has to be radiation free.
0: Oh no, I bought a Geiger counter that is constantly beeping because it's made of radioactive (laughs) material. Oh shoot.
1: (laughs) You know, there could be another reason your Geiger counter
0: is constantly beeping, Luis.
1: I just want to throw that out just in case. Every single time I hear my Geiger
0: counter sounding off is because it's it's made of radioactive material, Kurt. What else would it be? Do you think there's radioactive background radiation uh, around where I live? Absolutely not. This is a radiation-free zone.
1: Your Geiger counter is just squealing like a clogged vacuum, and
0: you're like, hmm, needs an update. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah. God, it's, it's out of whack. Give it a couple slaps like an old TV and it fixes itself. <laughs>
1: Exactly. I've laid out all the problems here. Now it's time for some solutions. Okay. No, and the solution no. is time to return to the boats. Yes. Did you see
0: this coming Luis? Oh, no, I did not. But now when you mentioned lead,
1: I got real excited. So lead ingots are taken from the San Ignacio, which is one of the boats in the Spanish fleet. Okay. They're sold to Duke and University of Chicago laboratories for $33 per kilo. Okay. Okay. 190 lead ingots are taken from the wreck of the Roman ship to be used as shielding by the Italian Institute of Nuclear Physics. And they're actually <laughs> gonna use it uh, as part of a particle accelerator to observe neutrinos. So it's like a la Angels and Demons, if you've seen that movie, which I think that's very cool that they have stuff off a Roman boat that they're using for like futuristic- Yeah, I was gonna measuring. say that's,
0: that's hard as hell. Like, just, <laughs> Antimatter, just like I, yeah. I need to I need to make a, I don't know, a radiation screen zone or a particle accelerator. How am I gonna find the ingredients for it? Oh, I'm gonna look in the bottom of the ocean to a ship from Julius Caesar's fleet. Like, That's great. That's lovely. <laughs>
1: yeah, like, yeah. Could someone please go uh, pick up 190 ingots of uh, Julius Caesar's slingshot ammunition, please? We oh, of course, to of course. Hold
0: on. Let me put my scuba <laughs> suit on.
1: If you're going to the store anyway, could you grab a couple of ingots off the uh, sunken Roman boat at the bottom of that <laughs> so pre-nuclear steel also is removed from decommissioned world war ii and korean war boats and steel is salvaged from the sunken wreck of the kaiserliche marine mm. uh, which again is the german naval fleet that was scuttled mm-hmm. here's a list of some other salvages steel was taken from other german world war one boats that were scuttled in defiance of the war ending uh, there were a lot of german boat captains that you know whether they were in defiance of the war ending or were ashamed of it decided to sink their boats or if they just didn't want it to fall in the british hands all of those boats because the way you scuttled them, things is just to let them take on water all the steel is still in perfect condition so a lot of steel was taken from world war one german boats most of it was used to make full body scan rooms in hospitals lead pipes were actually brought up from boston's original sewer system they were salvaged for college experiments and there's also quite a lot of illegal salvaging and this kind of thing is hard to track obviously but many shipwrecks are deemed too hazardous or too deep to salvage from or they're preserved as a war grave but because of the value of low background steel illegal salvage can be very (laughs) profitable and also to build on this because of the lack of low background steel and lead black market metals likely are regularly finding their way into official institutions
0: i I was just gonna say i think i think that's really funny oh there's all these limitations and trying to dismantle all these old ships and trying to gather this steel because of whatever reasons but hey there's demand for it so who cares
1: yeah there's a very (laughs) strange combination of things here that it's like you know i can't get over the sunken roman boat and then we're using that for futuristic experiments but then also at the same time there's like like, local fishermen or whoever going out on their boats illegally salvaging from these wrecks too yep. all of it put together is it's it's quite a portrait of, of humanity
0: it really <laughs> is it really it shows shows the best of us really
1: but as I was saying about about these metals from the black market finding their way to major places there's uh, some evidence that steel from one of the Kaiserliche Marine boats is rumored to have been used in the Voyager 1 and 2 satellites Whoa. which would make it the first battleship ever to go to space <laughs> NASA <laughs> has not confirmed this it's possible that they cannot confirm this because of where how they got it or how it got to them it's potentially illegal but that is a a pretty cool thought uh that i feel like really ties the whole thing together so that that is the end what do you think of that one Luis?
0: That, wait that's just how it ends what did you want to happen <laughs> no I I, I I thought we were gonna come around about like one man who was determined to steal all of these things no i, th- I think you it just you just gave a lot of really cool facts well, I hope they're facts. Yeah, well, there
1: is no way, you know, that this story really ends because there has never really been a reliable solution found to create more low background steel or lead. I read some places where people talk about these really expensive machines that you could create that would theoretically do this, but it would literally cost more than resurfacing the wreckage <laughs> of a Roman ship. Right. So, you know, I kind of doubt that's going to happen.
0: And, and I find it, I find it really difficult to be telling this story right now in our podcast, Kurt, because this just means I have to get rid of all. My low background steel that I have in the shed next outside of my house. Like I, I have had so much <laughs> low background steel for so many years, not knowing I could make fortune with it. Kurt, you've just been sitting on it all this time. Sitting on it, you know. Stop burying your gold. Just go get your low background steel from your local low background steel dealer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's the it's the only asset that grows over time in value.
1: You guys are investing in cryptocurrency. I'm investing in low background steel. I'm playing chess, not chess. No, I'm above. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. You guys, Non-fungible you have... token? How about a non-radioactive token, my guy? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's so sticky. That's dumb as hell, Kurt. I love it. Now, yeah. yeah, that's great. No, that's again, I think I think it's really fun. Like, like we mentioned, just first of all, saying I'm gonna use old Roman lead to make a particle mm. accelerator, but also, oh yeah, this battleship has gone to space. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like a weird ship of Theseus thing, you know? Like, how much do you have to take away from this ship to stop being a battleship? Oh, true. But I like to believe. Like, the only... Like, I like to imagine... Whenever you mention that, like, in my brain, and considering I like to believe in a more magical world, I just imagine a battleship with wings up somewhere in mm, space. That's very fun. Uh, like I,
1: like bird wings or, like, jet airplane
0: wings? <laughs> I didn't consider... Or both. I didn't consider uh, <laughs> bird wings, Kurt, but just imagine jet, jet airplane wings that fly... Lap. Yeah, I was gonna say, but both jet airplane wings have flapped. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, wow, that's lovely, Kurt. No, I like that. I like that. That's that's really that that's something not considering just the the ramifications of atomic bombs and how it goes way beyond just the very apparent injury to humanity and human existence that they are.
1: Yeah, and and, you know the pretty wild part is it seems like they knew this was going to happen when they detonated it but they Mm. just thought we'd rather have the low background steel problem than the World War II problem and we'll just have to solve (laughs) that another day. And also a lot of people were weirdly optimistic about all the stuff we were going to be able to do with radiation people thought that it was going to be like the the miracle chemical that put us in a utopian Mm. society before they found out that it makes like your bones crumble into dust yeah, or whatever. I, think, I, think, I, love, I love
0: this this weird optimism we had towards radiation and radioactivity and, and things of the sort. I, found, I was reading this last week how back in the 1950s there were science experiments that you could purchase from the store that is essentially make your own nuclear reactor at home. Ooh. You know, very low level. And it, it like fully not caring for the amount of radiation that it will give your children.
1: Easy bake oven for your daughter make your own reactor for your son it's an That's easy, cute. it's an
0: easy bake oven that will kill you in 20 minutes you know
1: easy bake nuclear oven
0: (laughs) (laughs) and and, and and, and from what i read they took it off the shelves like five years later after they realized oh no this might not be good in the long run that's a long time still it seriously is it seriously is but could you imagine again this optimism to work with nuclear energy and, and it's just really funny yeah just a bunch of scientists sitting in a room saying okay Here's my bargain. Could either have steel with slight radiation or <laughs> Germany invades Poland once again? Which one do you really want <laughs> you
1: know? do you Do you think they had they had to get like someone sign off on it, but it's like not someone who's a scientist, so they don't want to explain all this to them, so they're like hypothetically mr president w- which would be worse if we can no longer use our steel or if Japan is still alive, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, speaking of the ideas guy, who do you think was the the lunatic to come up with this whole going back down to the boat scheme? I'd like to see that guy have been pitching that idea. There, there was
0: just one <laughs> dude in the in this in the meeting room that was a lover of history and lover of of, of just different historic facts, and they were saying, oh man, there's no way we're gonna find some pre-World War II era steel. And this man is half asleep, suddenly wakes up. Guys, I have an idea. Remember Julius Caesar? You're not gonna believe me.
1: (laughs) So, on to our second story. And I will say, Luis, you know, you said that first story had a lot of interesting facts in it, and I agree, but still, it was a lot of facts. We had to learn a lot of dates, A lot of boat names. We had to learn about radiation. It was very wordy, you know. you're,
0: You're making me think way too much, Kurt. Like, come on. Not one to do this. I know,
1: I know, and, Burning I, out. and I knew I was going to get that reaction. So don't worry, Luis. The second story, we are all fun and games. We are shenanigans. Oh, we are yes. just the wildest lunatics out here having a time making their mark on history, okay? We're, we're We're ready to let our hair down now, all right? Science class is over.
0: I've never heard a more attractive sentence, <laughs> Kurt. Oh, my goodness.
1: So if this play had a title, it would be Georgie's Last Bash. Okay? Ooh. And before we get started here, let me set the scene a little bit, all right? Okay. So World War I ends November 1918. We already know this date. We just learned it. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. The 18th Amendment, which is the amendment that created prohibition, was ratified January 1919. So a few months later. They said
0: war is over. Don't celebrate.
1: Right. But the funny thing is, it wasn't scheduled to go into effect until January 1920, so one year later. Mm -hmm. And here's an interesting thing about prohibition. So organizations such as the Women's (laughs) Christian Temperance...
0: Yes. Here's an interesting thing about prohibition. None. Continue. (laughs) Um,
1: Well, just one thing. (laughs) the women's christian temperance movement and the anti-saloon league two of the most major organizations that had been pushing for prohibition for a long time Mm -hmm. had actually been pushing for it since the mid-1800s what changed was that many of the quote-unquote wets which is apparently how they would refer to people who were pro-alcohol were drafted into world war one so the numbers changed in the dry's favor so it wasn't actually really that public opinion changed it was Mm. just that the population of the country changed so now numerically (laughs) The dries had the majority Right
0: Interesting (laughs) Sooner or later
1: The dries always get the majority
0: Oh shoot (laughs) This political climate, Kurt I don't know if that's a safe thing to say
1: (laughs) Before we gotta stop the podcast Let's get out of here I'll
0: go on record right now And say right now That I'm a proud wet (laughs) I am wet And I am proud There I said it
1: not react to that so we don't get canceled (laughs) so we're in this magical window of time as i like to think of it where everyone's home from the war and everyone knows prohibition is coming in january 1920 but there's a year or so until we get there oh yes so what are you gonna do time to party baby Yes. yes 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 and that's what many people do one of these parties takes place june 1919 and it's thrown by nevada senator georgie henderson okay so privately georgie Georgie Henderson is against prohibition. However, publicly he abstained from voting on the 18th Amendment, so he's a okay. pretty good politician. Yeah, I think
0: that's that's a smart move, Georgie. <laughs> yeah,
1: he's having a last big party at his home in Minden, Nevada, before prohibition takes effect. And it's also rumored that he may announce his Senate reelection campaign, running on a platform to repeal prohibition. Okay. Uh, and to this point, there's a reporter from the Nevada Appeal, which is a major newspaper in Carson City. This reporter's name is Buster Owens. He's in attendance of this party, hoping to hear an announcement speech from Georgie. Henderson. So all this brings us to June twentieth, nineteen nineteen, the night of the party. And Luis, my musical co-host, I understand you are gonna give me a little backing track here. So please, if you would be so kind, our
0: overture. Yes, yes, yes. So we set the scene. It's a party evening. We hear we hear the party going on in the background. People are drinking and having a good time, enjoying the night. And we go on with the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was nice. Even a little ASMR in there. Thank you. Okay. So it's 5 p.m., the guests start arriving. Here's some of the people in attendance in no particular order. Pat Reed and his wife. Pat Reed is a local businessman who owns several mines around Nevada, and he's very wealthy from that. Another senator from Carson City named Charles Gaffney. Former Hollywood starlet Norma Walton. Okay. She was the star of films you may have seen, such as The Duke, The Emerald Isle, and Jungle Woman. And Oh, yes. At this point in time, she's now age 34 and has been out of the inner circles of the film industry for quite a while. She had a little moment... And
0: has aged out of Hollywood. She is a star of a bygone era. Get rid of her.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that probably was kind of the sentiment in those days. She she had a little moment where she was getting a little bit of fame, um, but then it, it kind of passed her by. And at this point, she's, like I said, 34 and known to be a pretty bad alcoholic. So she's having a great time.
0: So I'm assuming she's a wet. She's a wet. Every, I'll tell you right
1: now, everybody at this function, big wet energy. Oh, <laughs> Stop. Why did you have to co-opt my words wet and dry, Luis? Now I can't say them anymore. <laughs> I can't say big wet energy without feeling bad about it.
0: Listen, Kurt, you know I love a good big wet energy. Oh, okay. Don't we
1: all? Okay, again, moving on before we get canceled. <laughs> so, in addition, there are also several World War One soldiers invited as guests of honor. First and foremost, Georgie's son, Gramby Henderson. He was a World War One soldier. Gramby. Yes. Good name. Also, three of Gramby's friends, named in the Nevada Appeal as quote, foul weather jack, pork barrel bailey, and old chappy, which is pork, love it.
0: What what is pork barrel used as an adjective mean? I don't know. I know when you like add extra stuff to
1: legislation, that's called pork barreling, but I doubt that's the connection. I mean, there's no further information on the nickname, so your guess is as good as mine, Luis.
0: My father, he was Pork Barrel Bailey. Uh, you can call me Porky. <laughs> uh,
1: so, in addition to them, there's a few other unnamed soldiers in attendance. Also, Father Evans, a local priest, is in attendance. Of course, Father Evans. Everyone loves Father Evans. Everyone loves Father Evans. Come on, dude. Even, even Pork Barrel Bailey loves Father Evans.
0: <laughs> who doesn't, who does Pork Barrel Bailey know? not like (laughs) let's be honest
1: what a guy you know so the catholic church was actually very outspoken against prohibition because of their use of communion wine however it does also seem like father evans thinks this is going to be more of a political
0: social gathering than a party (laughs) it also seems that father evans thinks communion wine should be whiskey <laughs> <laughs> he's like i'm just here to defend my communal moonshine exactly he's just you just see him in the back room just chugging some rum and he's like what it's the body of christ <laughs>
1: Also, Jacob Campbell, who is a wealthy local rancher, is in attendance. A few other local ranchers are there with their wives, as well as Ruth Campbell, who is Jacob's cousin. Before the party even gets started, there's a problem. Two of the musicians in the live band can't play because they are sick from, quote, some bad snake oil. Uh. Which... All right. Most okay. nineteen
0: nineteen sentence ever.
1: I'm very curious if they meant that as a euphemism or not. I don't know what it would mean, but I don't know. It just seems strange.
0: You just go up to go up to go up to like your your partner or whatever, and say, "Oh, that man in the corner sold me some bad snake oil." Supposed <laughs> <laughs> to the good snake oil they find in the other corner. So Georgie's <laughs> brother
1: uh, is a talented musician. So the solution to this, he takes Georgie takes a horse, and he's gonna go and get his brother. Uh, while he's gone, he has Pat Reed to watch over the party. Pat Reed again is the rich mining businessman guy. Mm-hmm. Notice he does not ask his son Granby to host while he's gone. And this is likely because after returning from World War I, Granby became a terrible alcoholic. Uh. So guests continue arriving. The party's going well. Jacob Campbell, who is the local rancher and his cousin Ruth, arrive sometime around six. And it's kind of a well-known town secret that Ruth and Pat, Pat is again the mining businessman, have been having an off and on affair for years. Ooh. It's not clear to what degree pat's wife is aware of this but an altercation starts between pat's wife and ruth ruth throws a drink in pat's face pat's wife grabs a bottle of liquor and locks herself in the bathroom also by the way i love that i don't have the name of the wife i mean it it just did not exist out there but even (laughs) his his mistress gets a name but not his wife
0: i I love that that reaction it's like oh party's kind of kind of crazy just gonna lock myself up with a drink you know that's yeah
1: yeah she just she just had enough and she's like you know what (laughs) gotta get this done before (laughs) they repeal it (laughs) <laughs> so this is all still happening when Georgie returns with his brother. So there's basically no one hosting the party oh. Also, Granby is nowhere to be found and there's some worry about this at first But he's quickly found passed out in one of the storerooms of the house <sighs> Granby come on. So what a mess this is already. That's wet energy. That's wet energy right there to his credit Georgie is undeterred by all of this. He's like my brother's here now <laughs> now we can start the party Let's do it, okay? But oopsies, party foul. Around 7.30, they run out of liquor, which is way too early to run out of
0: liquor. Yeah, seriously. The craziest part is that the party started at the 7.15.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so some of the reasons why maybe this happened is that leading up to prohibition, alcohol production decreased greatly bootlegging is also going to become more common but at this point it's not yet a reliable source for alcohol so perhaps it was actually just difficult to get a large quantity it's also possible that georgie greatly underestimated how many people would come and how much they would drink especially the world war one soldiers yeah. likely it's probably a combination of these two things so georgie again leaves his own party this time to get more drinks by the way i want to remind you that he's a senator but I, i'm not going to say senator henderson oh. georgie is so much more fun.
0: Senator Georgie.
1: Senator Georgie, baby. So Senator Georgie's going on the liquor. Who run. just
0: wanted to play his
1: guitar and drink. He just he just wanted to have a good time. Come on. While he's gone this time, some members from the Nevada branch of the women's Christian temperance movement arrive outside the house and form a picket line trying to block guests from entering the house.
0: Oh, come on. So
1: come off it. The temperance <laughs> protesters outside are super angry that the party goers are getting drunk. The party goers are angry that they don't have any alcohol to get drunk with. <laughs> the temperance crowd. The <laughs> cat Starts chanting one of their famous slogans. Not even a drop. So they quote, not even a drop. And many of the angry partygoers start chanting, "We haven't got." So when it gets all put together, it's a cooperative oh. chant of, "We haven't got not even a drop."
0: Oh, that's clever. Which is just great. <laughs> that's wonderful. You know, they're really making the best out of a bad situation. At least they're having some fun. They are.
1: They're. they You know what? Me. Either way, we only got a few more months, so we're here to party uh, against all odds. Yeah. So Georgie uh, shortly returns with the liquor. Several of the World War One soldiers make a circle around Georgie so they can pass through the protesters to get into the house because they're actually a pretty rowdy crowd. <laughs> mm-hmm. The protesters, quote, hit with wooden clubs and threw rocks in an attempt to hinder the good senator from approaching his home. And allegedly, some of the women are also brandishing hatchets. Oh my and one God. of them takes a swing at Georgie, only narrowly missing his hand.
0: And they so, say that people drinking alcohol are the dangerous
1: ones. Yes. So things are, things are starting to get a little wild here. But the alcohol has arrived at the party. So now we can finally start. And this is where... We end act one. Luis, will you play uh-huh. us out to intermission? Oh, that was How nice. Was that? So, Luis, for your intermission, you know, I was thinking maybe we would have some snacks, but that's pointless because that's only fun for us. Mm. What I will say you can have for sustenance is I have two tangents that I did not include in these stories and you can pick which (laughs) one. Do you want to hear more about snake oil and how it actually originally was a real product or about one of the boats that I took out of my first story because I'm not sure if it was salvaged or not, but it was sunk in a way where uh, there was some deception and smoke and mirrors involved.
0: I think I'm, I'm... First of all, I love the choices, Kurt. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the best format we've ever done this story. Uh Second, I, you know, I think there's a lot of mystery with that other boat. So I think i want the the boat tangent, please. All
1: right, let's hear the boat tangent. So this is 1939. World War II has just started. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> At the beginning of World War II, as you may know, Germany is terrorizing the Atlantic with ships and U-boats, attacking cargo ships and inferior naval vessels. One of these boats, a German cruiser named the Admiral Graf Spee, so the Graf Spee is roaming the South Atlantic the war started in September but by December the Graf Spee has already sank nine vessels so they're a big problem wow on December 13th the Graf Spee encounters three British cruisers the commander of the Graf Spee Hans Langdorf decides to engage in combat instead of running the ships exchange fire the two largest British ships are pretty badly damaged but so is the Graf Spee so both sides retreat the Graf Spree docked in the neutral harbor of Montevideo, Uruguay, and the undamaged British cruiser <laughs> followed the Graf Spee to Montevideo, and Hans Langdorf knows that the single undamaged British cruiser has followed them there. So uh, how this works is that legally the Graf Spee can remain in a neutral harbor for three days. Um, that's that's how long they have before they have to make a decision about what are we doing? Are we going to abandon the boat or are we going to leave the harbor? And three days is not going to be enough time to make the repairs that they need to make on the boat. Also, the Uruguay government is close with the British government so they're unlikely to be lenient especially since the British would have been specifically hunting the Graf Spee. Another problem also is that 36 sailors on the Graf Spee died in this battle and over 60 more are wounded so that's obviously not enough time for them to recover in those three days. Hans Langdorf is also somehow given information that more boats are en route to reinforce the British cruiser and allegedly he has an angry phone call with Adolf Hitler in which he is told to fight or scuttle but absolutely no surrender and no German boats falling into British hands. Wow. So on December 18th, since, you know, if it was just the one boat, even in the damaged shape, the Graf Spee could probably take care of it, and maybe it would be enough of a challenge that they could just bluff their way out of it, but with more reinforcements coming, it's pretty much certain death to leave the harbor. So, Hans Langsdorf orders the ship to be scuttled, Uh, it's taken out into the harbor, and charges on board are detonated, causing it to sink. After this, it turns out there were no British reinforcements. No. In fact, the British seem mostly content to abandon the fight and fight another day, (laughs) but somehow, a very clever piece of counterintelligence had made its way to Hans Langsdorf, lying to him, telling him that reinforcements were on the way, and this possibly influenced his decision. Uh, Langsdorf shot himself in his hotel room in Buenos Aires oh. two days later. Oh shoot. And this is one of the boats uh, that's in very deep water, and also because there were charges detonated, um, they're not sure how damaged it is, so it has never officially been salvaged, but it would have pre-nuclear steel on it, and there's a lot of talk about maybe someone privately quietly salvaged it, or maybe there have been illegal boats going out and salvaging it, and then of course, those parts are ending up in mainstream society. That is our, our bonus content boat. That's that's the boat that
0: didn't make the cut. Yeah, extra, extra boat content. Not not many podcasts have extra boat content. Somehow mm. we do. The one that got away, you know? Well, they didn't actually, but from the notes of this
1: story, they got away.
0: You can just imagine the British uh, intelligence officers just like giggling in the back, <laughs> just like seeing this, going, hee, 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 look what we just made the Germans do. <laughs> Anyway, if you would be so
1: kind, Luis, I think that's long enough intermission. Can you give me a couple chords to play us back in? Yes,
0: of course, of course. Imagine you're in the lobby of your theater and just hear... Oh, they're
1: dimming the lights. We got to go. Very nice. Very nice. Okay, so... Georgie is inside the house now. He's got the liquor. The protesters are still outside. Doesn't matter. We've got what we needed. We're ready to get wild. So the party goers start absolutely inhaling this liquor. Mm-hmm. Some may even say perhaps a little too fast. Oh. Uh, several party goers throw up. Someone throws up on Father Evans, which is not great.
0: <laughs> oh, shoot, a fire starts
1: at one point and burns some of the drapes. And before oh. it gets put out, a drunken party goer throws his drink on it without thinking. <sighs> Probably he's drinking. Drinking grain alcohol So it's literally like Throwing gasoline onto a fire <laughs> yeah, Come on man There's a commotion at one point When gunshots are heard It turns out to be Pork Barrel Bailey And some other drunk soldiers Shooting at a jackrabbit Ooh, Porky <laughs> Which come on Pork Barrel Bailey I mean come, You know better this than is a this, nice man. home You come already on.
0: snuck into this party You're not gonna go Hunting <laughs> jackrabbits At 7pm
1: Right So at this point Father Evans is not very happy With how this party is going uh, No No he's not There's a clear lack Of both <laughs> (laughs) moderation and godliness here and he also got thrown up on which you know really sucks it it will ruin anyone's night he goes to georgie and tries to reason that this is getting out of hand georgie is a little bit busy with getting absolutely shoisted while Mm -hmm. he still can Mm -hmm. so finally father evans actually leaves the party to join the protesters (laughs) (laughs) he
0: said change
1: teams
0: (laughs) i love i love that they're saying i Have no time to waste because this law is about to pass. That alcohol is going to be banned. So I need to drink right now. The law's not coming in effect for another month, right? Or another couple months. They could have a party tomorrow you know or the day after they said no we're gonna finish the supply of alcohol tonight
1: i mean i think maybe there's some amount of like georgie is gonna have this party no matter what because he left to get his brother and as soon as he gets back he's got to go get more liquor and then he's got to be escorted into his house he already rented the airbnb yeah at this point i can picture him being like put a gun to my head i'm still gonna get drunk (laughs) Yeah. So, at this point in the night, the details get a bit shaky uh, because it seems our reporter, Buster Owens, uh, who is my primary source on a lot of these details, likely realized that no campaign speech was going to happen and decided mm. to get quite drunk himself. No, oh, you know,
0: <laughs> I love that. Now, that's ethical journalism right there.
1: <laughs> he's, he's just he's just fitting in, you know? Exactly. It seems that Senator Charles Gaffney, the, uh, the other senator from Carson City, snuck out around this time because no account recalls seeing him after nine. I think he probably... Probably realize this was not a good scene to be a part of. A drunken Norma Walton, remember our former Hollywood starlet, is oh, seen yes, making yes, a, yes. a pass at several married men. Yes, not all at the same time, like one at a time. <laughs> but that would be pretty wild. <laughs> Thanks as well. for the
0: clarification, Kurt. <laughs> yeah, you know
1: I don't put anything past Norma Walton. Okay, you never know what she might get up to. Classic Norma. And she is allegedly later seen kissing one of the musicians. Yes. So she had a good time. Yes, Norma. At some point, the protesters outside started singing gospel songs, possibly led by Father Evans, mm. and perhaps. Perhaps reaching a point of annoyance for Georgie, he decides to lead the party guests outside to drunkenly sing along with the crowd and try to offer them drinks. <laughs> so things are getting out of control pretty
0: rapidly here. Hey Georgie, Georgie's being diplomatic, you know? Georgie is saying, okay, there's a big hubbub outside. She's gonna offer them a drink.
1: Why not? It, I think it's more antagonizing than it is friendly, to Okay. be
0: honest. Well, let me, let me believe in a magical world, Kurt. True.
1: But so now we're in this situation where one crowd is armed and angry, and the other is drunk and mischievous, and they're just right up against each other. The two crowds are now both singing gospel. They keep trying to sing over each other until a point where they're basically just screaming at each other. Uh, the police arrive. It's unknown whether they were brought by someone or if they literally heard the commotion and came. But when they get there, they're kind of unsure about what to do because the women's Christian temperance movement has a lot of power right now you know the country is on their side so they don't really want to upset them but the party is being thrown by their local senator so they don't want to upset him either so they just decide like okay everybody basically go home they tell the partygoers that they either have to go home or stay inside the house and they tell the protesters that they have to disperse but one man in the crowd of protesters doesn't like this he argues with the police that they have a right to protest and they're not the ones breaking the law so they shouldn't be the ones being told to disperse when he refuses to leave the police arrest him and then after that the rest of the crowd does disperse but The man arrested was Father Evans. No! And how did this happen? Again, I don't have a lot of details here, but here's some theories. Perhaps he had changed clothes after being puked on. Perhaps his outfit had become disheveled by the events of the evening because, you know, he's in this pretty crazy party and then he goes out into this (laughs) crowd that's protesting really aggressively. Or perhaps the police simply didn't notice. But either way, uh, we know that it was him for sure because as the police are taking him away, he tried to explain, saying, quote, You are arresting a man of the cloth. To which the police replied, Sir, we have been told this before basically do you really think we haven't heard that one before
0: (laughs) (laughs) help help i'm a priest yeah yeah and i'm the pope and now luis if you would be so kind take us out all right right here we go
1: yes very nice Thank you. So I have I have a couple little footnotes here just just for interest. Senator Georgie Harrison did not in fact run for re-election after this.
0: No, he didn't. Wow. No, he did not.
1: <laughs> uh, his son Gramby did run for Senate in 1932, but he didn't win. So sorry, Gramby. Sorry, Gramby. Got a better name. Norma Walton never acted in another movie, at least not one that made it into the history books. Oh, Norma. Buster Owens does go on to write an article about this. However, it comes out uh, a week later. <laughs> Possibly he was very hungover after this, and maybe. In a little bit of trouble, uh so there's some delay on that. And prohibition does go into effect on January of nineteen twenty and the rest is history. Wow. Wow.
0: Oh my god, it's the greatest party ever told. It is. It is a wild one, huh? You know, it makes it's moments like these where that's it's why I like talking about history and studying history, Kurt. I can see myself in this party having a good time. You know, mm. uh, I I can picture myself getting real close with senators and a priest and a washed up celebrity <laughs> like that seems like a really good time for me. Which
1: which one of the party goers are you of the of the characters, Luis?
0: I am slant butt Mejia. No, no. Know, I mean,
1: of, of the oh. of the real characters I listed, <laughs> you don't get to make one up.
0: <laughs> oh, no. Actually, I, I wait. I,
1: no, no, no. Never mind. Forget that question. I want to hear more about slant butt Mejia. <laughs> In fact, forget whatever this podcast is about. What <laughs> I want to hear more about, Slant Butt Mejia. <laughs>
0: well, for starters, Slant Butt Mejia is part of the wet crowd, you know? Of course. To, to, of course. To begin with. And, uh, As one does. He exclusively talks to married women. And, of course. And uh, is, is not afraid to do so. And... He, he, while he does, he is afraid of prohibition coming in soon into effect. Mm. He does not fear too much because he does have a habit of growing his own alcohol at home. So, Slant I gotta Butt I got to tell Mejia. you, um,
1: I think we don't even need the Slant Butt part, maybe. We're just, we're just Mejia. <laughs> just, <laughs> it's just kind
0: of you. <laughs> no, no. Let me stop talking <laughs> no, or no, else I'm going to no. reveal more
1: information. <laughs> I know. But I would be, I think I, I don't need to make up a character because I'll be Pork Barrel Bailey shooting at a jackrabbit. I, I think that's Absolutely. me. It feels that right. That sounds
0: about right. You know, it yeah. comes like two hours into the party all of a sudden. Oh, where'd Kurt go? Oh, he's outside hunting for squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's that on, on the two stories, Luis. What do you think of those? Well, that was nice, Kurt. Thank you for giving us a different way of formatting these stories. And so, yeah, so just we getting a little funky with it. Very cinematic, sim- cinematic uh, dramatic way to explain these stories. So, I appreciated mm. that, Kurt. And anything to get you playing a
1: harp on the podcast, you know. This podcast has been delayed in the past for your harp practice. So, that's true. we I've, need to see the results of it I've,
0: here. <laughs> I've been pretty diligently studying the harp, Kurt. So, I, I feel really satisfied that it's it's being put to good use aka this podcast but no <laughs> these stories are good Kurt they're both stories that are, they kind of just happen mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's not leading up to a great big event but rather is just just what history is you know just a, yeah. su- a succession of different events that's just like oh this happens yeah. You know, it's not necessarily a a neat story tied up with a bow or anything of the sort. It's just, this is just something that happened one day and someone was lucky enough to write it down, you know? Right. Which makes you think, how many more parties do you think would have happened in in, in history? I know,
1: I know. If only there were a book of of all the the pre-prohibition parties, that could be a wild one.
0: Oh my goodness. I mean, you know how Mardi Gras gets and historically Mardi Gras is the Tuesday before you strap in for for Lent. So just imagine, I don't know, December. December 31st that New Year's party Kurt how <laughs> yeah. December 31st 1919 uh, would have been one where if people didn't die it wasn't a good party you know? <laughs> or if people didn't go blind if someone
1: doesn't throw grain alcohol in the burning drapes it's not a good party <laughs> December 31
0: 1919 at around 9 30 p.m. there's over 150 people hunting jackrabbits in their backyard no one knows why <laughs> that used to be that you know where you like do you ever
1: wake up at like 3am and you're like "It's one little shredded cheese goblin brain was a little shredded <laughs> cheese right so
0: many people went up in 1919 december 31st to go get a little bit of shredded cheese and by shredded cheese i mean just a flask of whiskey
1: no no i was gonna say that that their their version is that they gotta shoot it at a jackrabbit well if you're pork barrel bailey it's like 3 and he's like 3am he's
0: like you gotta shoot it a jack. I gotta rabbit. shoot a jackrabbit. Goblin rabbit. brain needs to shoot a jack <laughs> <rabbit>. <laughs> Everything else fades. Nothing is in front of you except for a single jackrabbit and your trusty revolver.
1: Pork Barrel Bailey would have been a good seal hunter. He would have. That's been a- and that's a callback. It's in the feed. The seal hunter mail order <laughs> Pope's. Go check it out now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> on that note, Luis, shall we move on to our favorite least favorite part of this podcast? I think so, Kern. You know exactly what it's called. It's Deliberation. Deliberation. Oh, you've had a little bit of a a little fun there. With that I one. Get
1: a little, did I get a little funky on that one? Little My little mouth funky. was nice. fully on
0: the microphone. Yeah, that felt right. It almost sounded like a, like a robot.
1: All right. Well, <laughs> the two stories I told you today, Luis, to recap, are I told you of a history of boats that were sunk or scuttled mm-hmm. and then had to be resurfaced to use their low background steel or lead to fix a problem that we created. Mm-hmm. Typical. And the story of Georgie's last big bash and we got gramby. We got pork barrel Bailey, I forgot part of the name, we got Foul Weather Jack, Old Chappie, Father Evans, the whole gang is in here, even Norma Walton, ooh la la, and Slant Butt Mejia bringing up the rear, (laughs) literally, 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 he's bringing it up, just one side though,
0: Oh well, Kurt. Good stories, and I like like you mentioned. I enjoy that that first story. It's really a a story of the human spirit. Mm-hmm. Let's make a problem and struggle very hard to fix it. Classic human move.
1: Both stories are stories of the human spirit, the human resiliency to keep our society from falling in on itself, and the human resiliency to have a party even when
0: it's the worst idea. <laughs> the, yeah, the, the human desire to have a vice despite right, right. how many people are yelling at you and or how right. many laws are created. Oh man. Kurt, well, you know, I, again, I, I really like the the casualness of these mm-hmm. two stories, how they just kind of happen, and it's mm-hmm. just that's life. I will say there's one detail that caught me a little bit off guard. And, and I am th- I don't know if this was a mistake on your part. I don't know if this was a error in speech when you were talking about the fleets, the Spanish fleets, the Spanish Armada back in the, in the day during early Latin American colonialism, mm-hmm. you did mention uh, a specific century. You said the 14th century, Kurt, mm-hmm. and uh, that, well, no European presence was in uh, Latin American or American ground in the 14th century, Kurt, because that would have been 1300s. Uh, oh, you're right. How- so, I
1: think I forgot how sentries work. To be honest with you, or
0: that's what he says right now. Who knows? Let me look.
1: Let me let me see. Let me see if I can if I can prove this, or it is in fact an an error due to my my writing, or or that I made a mistake,
0: or due to you lying to me. But or... I
1: because I, I there were like three years there all together. So let me see if the other years make sense. Yeah, because I because around 1530 is when they started requiring convoys. So I think I just forgot how sentries
0: work. Yeah, I understand.
1: But I understand that you also probably think I would say that if I'm lying.
0: Yeah. But at the same believe time, believe what you sir, want, Luis. <laughs> you know, at the same time, you did make a mistake. And instead of 1920, you said January of 2020. So that is true. Uh, if anything, I don't know if this shows consistency in the errors you make or you're uh, playing the long, long con curd, which if you are, I will at the same time hate you and have huge respect for you. So, oh man, this is difficult. But I think. I have a a bit of an itch or a bit of an inkling from the first story. You have made up items before mm-hmm. right you have made up things before and there's a huge chance that you could make up low background steel don't forget the low background lead the, and the low not
1: to mention the high background steel
0: and the high background lead which is what we currently have right now right so that's true you know i think i think that's something that's that's itching at the back of my throat it's it's something that i can't really swallow down completely mm. however at the same time it, it takes me a little bit to to think about that mostly because it's something that you really would not think about, you know? Mm. How detonating bombs in the air It is air, pretty
1: yeah, it's pretty out there. It's a weird
0: connection yeah, for sure. How detonating bombs in the air is something that would impact something as as quotidian or something as quote unquote normal ass steel, you know? So right. I that's where I'm getting tripped up a little bit. And I really do enjoy the fact that it's such a Again, it's just, just, it's, just a, it's just something that happened. Right? It's, not a, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a story. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other one, it, it almost sounds... I feel like you sat down and you said, what would be the coolest party we could have uh, before <laughs> Prohibition starts? Which, respect, I think, I do. that's what I do every single night before I go to bed. You know me, big of,
1: big end-of-the-world party fan. <laughs> it's true,
0: it's true. You and me both. We did, now. we
1: did, I will, so everyone could be in on it. Luis and I did, uh, in fact, on one occasion, find a cult that predicted the end of the world, and then we had an end-of-the-world party on that day.
0: And it was pretty fun. Uh, world didn't end, by the way. World, world
1: didn't end, by the way. Yeah,
0: we'll wait. wait. Hold your applause. Hold your applause. We're still waiting on that <laughs> one. Well, uh, we'll see. Yeah but because of that Kurt because I think I think you would be someone that would be very excited to make up a, a story about a party I'm gonna go ahead and, and say the first story is the real one uh, the story of the lead and the steel and the nuclear bombs is the real story final answer
1: well Luis my wet friend oh God you are correct hey and you got me again I really thought you were gonna miss it I swear every single time you do this to me <laughs> 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 but but yes um so so the low background steel low background lead that is a little bit out of my range of sci-fi things to come up with yeah. that is all
0: true that no, uh, now incredible.
1: our last our georgie's last bash story so that the dates about prohibition are true other than that uh, some information about the women's temperance movement about how the numbers change when people are drafted to world war one mm-hmm. that's all true other than that, it's pretty much all made up yeah and you know what i i don't want to i don't want to brush over this too fast but i would like some credit for coming up with we haven't got naughty even a drop,
0: okay? Come on, baby. That's really good. That's really good, Kurt. And, and not only that, did you come up with every single name in this story? I came up with every oh, single name. Yes, yeah. Kurt. And
1: it was so much fun to do. Uh, I was like, what's the senator's name? George? No, Georgie. And his son's <laughs> name is Gramby. And then I looked up some uh, old Hollywood starlets, and like five of them were named Norma. So I was like, all right, Norma's an easy one. <laughs> and then, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of like word saladed the uh, World War One names until I came up with Pork Barrel Bailey and Old Chappie and Foul Weather Jack. Actually, Foul whether Jack might have been a real one from somewhere but pork barrel Bailey's all me baby
0: and that was such a that's such a clever ruse to say yeah I think pork barrel means this and this well I, I mean
1: <laughs> you know I just gave him the name because I was like that sounds right and I do pork barrel does mean to add stuff to
0: legislation but it just sounded vaguely western <laughs> rurally, so I thought it would pass oh that was good no Kurt that was a really really good story but but yeah I think I think what gave you see, to give a little more context to our listeners Kurt and I whenever we live together we like to uh, have parties parties and host uh, events and parties of the sort. And like we mentioned, we did have a party that was end of the world themed. Mm-hmm. And the things we did to come up to ma- make sure we kept up with that theme were things that I think could very easily inspire this kind of story, Kurt. So I think <laughs> I think just knowing that this is a party that I know both of you and I would love to be at mm-hmm. made, it a, made it a tell.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I- I'll, I'll be honest because I thought I was going to have a hard time overcoming the amount of detail in the low background steel story because you're right it's a lot for me to have come up with and a lot of really weird turns so i was like my best play here i think is to make louise fall desperately madly in love with every single character in the other story which i did i got, got like half that yeah, yeah. I, think, I think we kind of no, but it just wasn't enough but yeah and and also um you know you said before when uh the sadie home of assassins and flat earthers and the easily distracted pitcher um in in one of those stories you said that uh, you could picture me sitting down and yeah. making up different fringe groups from Ohio or indie bands. And I knew you were gonna catch the same thing because the combination of all the names and weird characters in here, it was just gonna be too much. But I thought maybe you'd be so fascinated with I thought you'd jump on Georgie and uh, Pork Barrel Bailey. Those were my those are my two guys.
0: I for did you jump that. on Pork Barrel Bailey. What are you talking I about? Kn- did you
1: not hear see? me curd gushing over no, him? No, I know you I I know you <laughs> did. I know you did, but I'm saying it was it wasn't enough to distract
0: you. <laughs> I guess not.
1: But just so you know, I did see that coming, and I was <laughs> like, this name is word salad, but Luis is going to love it.
0: <laughs> God, and you, and you got it rather right now. And,
1: and especially, I was like, uh, the shooting the Jackrabbits, it has to be Pork Barrel Bailey. Of, it's course, all pork to, of Barrel course, Bailey. course it does. It's only ever been Pork Barrel Bailey.
0: <laughs> when has it not? seriously
1: uh, real quick if if you're interested because this one's short do you want to hear what my tangent about snake oil was absolutely Kurt please originally when snake oil was uh, being made in the US it was brought over by Chinese railroad workers and uh, apparently if you boil a Chinese water snake which is a, a type of snake they have in China its skin will give off like this Vaseline sort of thing you can like scrape the foam off the top and it ma- mm-hmm. basically makes Vaseline so it actually does have some medical applications oh. but then the white people got a hold of this and they were like oh. so we can just boil any snake and put any chemical in it and sell as anything and that's why there's all these things about snake oil salesmen. I because once it was co-opted it became like this you know classic scam
0: but originally there was actually real snake oil oh, it's like other scams that were brought over from asia you know how white people co-opted things like hot yoga what the hell is that scam <laughs> acro yoga i don't care you're making that up no way. What about pork barrel yoga? Everything about pork that? Pork barrel yoga. Slant
1: butt yoga. Forget
0: slant butt yoga. Pork you barrel just, yoga. I just churn them, like, them out all day. <laughs> <laughs> Low background yoga. You know, oh, it's easy. It's anything. Yes. Yes. <laughs> ah, so good. So what Full does circle. that bring our score to, Louise? So, Kurt, I believe the that brings up our tally that I so diligently keep for this show. <laughs> mm-hmm. We were tied the episode before, two to two. We were head to head, Kurt, but I believe... Mm-hmm. With this story and me getting it right, it brings me up one point to three. So three to two on the tally, kurt for the season. I am currently winning. That's all right. Still
1: close. Still very Still close. close. Anybody's game. So with that, thank you everyone for listening. I also want to give a special shout out to my mom and yeah. Yvonne Cano, both of whom helped me with uh, writing the second story. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Hope you enjoyed. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on Instagram at UnbelievablePod and Twitter at UnbelievablePC. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends and family about us leave us a review comment tweet at us anything and if you didn't like
0: it we're so bored if you didn't like it also tell your family about it you know everyone deserves to know the truth
1: that's true also i'd (laughs) like to say if you didn't like it please send anthrax to luis's house his uh address will be in the uh show notes Mm -hmm. uh anyway thank you for listening everyone we'll see you next time and remember don't buy bad snake oil (laughs) bye